If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Um, This is the reading of God's Word. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Amen. For those of you joining us for the first time today, we are in the middle of an Advent series that we started last Sunday. And the theme of this year's Advent is this, recapturing the wonders of Christmas. In this series, our hope is that you might experience in fresh ways the the, the wonder, the, the stunning, staggering reality of Jesus coming to this world 2,000 years ago. Our hope is that your hearts would be flooded with wonder, and that wonder would eventually lead to worship. Each week, we're going to highlight an aspect of Christmas that is either overlooked or underappreciated. Last Sunday, we looked at the wonder of God's timing and saw how the timing of Jesus' entrance into the world came with such precision as well as strategic ramifications. Today, we're going to turn our attention from the wonder of God's timing to the wonder of the name Emmanuel. Here in our passage, Matthew tells us, that Jesus' arrival is the fulfillment of a prophecy Isaiah made 700 years before. In verse 23, the angel says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is easily one of the great wonders of Christmas. And it is this wonder that I want us to meditate on and explore. And what we're going to do is progressively peel back the layers of Emmanuel and get deeper and deeper into why this ought to fill us with wonder. Now, when you peel back the first layer of Emmanuel, that the first thing that emerges and appears is that this baby that is to be born is none other than God himself. Jesus is God. Emmanuel is God is with us. Now, I realize that some of you may not be totally convinced that this baby is God. 
Some believe that the angel was speaking figuratively, not literally. After all, for centuries, this is how the Jewish rabbis understood Isaiah's prophecy. They always understood that what Isaiah was saying is something figurative, that a baby would be born of the virgin, they will call him Emmanuel, meaning that this baby to be born will become a great deliverer, a great teacher, someone who will take the nation of Israel to new heights, someone like Moses or King David. That's what Isaiah meant. He doesn't mean that this baby is actually going to be God, never in their wildest dreams did the the, the Jewish rabbis ever conceive that Isaiah was actually saying that God himself would become a baby. After all, today, some might use Emmanuel figuratively based on various circumstances. Perhaps there's a family who narrowly escaped a catastrophic car accident. And as they realize exactly what just happened, the dad might say, Emmanuel, God is with us. Or perhaps you were diagnosed with a brain tumor that is aggressive and has been growing over the years, but the next time you go get an MRI, it appears that that tumor has miraculously disappeared, and so everyone says, Emmanuel, God is with us. Yesterday, Shohei Otani signed with the Dodgers. (laughs) Yes. Millions of Dodger fans, including myself, were saying, Emmanuel, (laughs) God is with us. And so we use this term figuratively all the time. How do we know that the angel is not doing the same here with Jesus' birth? After all, this is a virgin birth. It's a miraculous event. Perhaps the angel is describing how Jesus is born, not really referring to who Jesus is. So which is it? Is he or is he not God? Well, a key to biblical interpretation is that whenever there's a question about a word or a verse that you're studying, the next thing you ought to do is what? Look at the greater context. And if still it's a little bit murky, you zoom out even more and look at all of Scripture together. And so let's do that with Emmanuel. When you look at the passage, you'll see in verse 20 that the angel of the Lord tells Joseph that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. That Mary was not conceived by another man, but from God himself. That God is the ultimate father of this child. That that Joseph is merely Jesus' adopted father. But the real ultimate father is none other than God himself. And so that clues us in into the fact that the identity of this baby is not ordinary. But let's zoom out even more. When you read the Gospels, it becomes clear that Jesus says and does things that only God would say and do. For example, the Pharisees accused Jesus of blasphemy. Why? Because Jesus is going around 
proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven, and the Pharisees rightly exclaim, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. What is more, Jesus accepts people's worship. You might remember the scene of doubting Thomas who says, I don't believe that you're Jesus. If you really are Jesus, let me touch your hands and your side. And so Jesus lets him. And Thomas then comes to the realization that this is his Messiah. And what does Thomas do? He falls down in worship and proclaims, my Lord and my God. And notice how Jesus responds to this confession. Does Jesus say, whoa, Thomas, you got me all wrong. I'm not God. No, Jesus actually blesses Thomas. Consider what Jesus said in John 8, 58. He says, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham lived 2,000 years before, and yet Jesus has the gall to say, I actually existed before Abraham. I mean, imagine if I were to tell you that I was alive even before Jesus came into this world. You'd think I'm crazy. What is more, Jesus takes the divine name of God, I am that I am, which God said to Moses at the burning bush, and he adopts it for himself. Before Abraham was, I am. That's intentional. But not only does Jesus say that he existed before Abraham, but later when he appears before the Jewish council in Mark 14, 62, he tells the Jewish Sanhedrin that he is the one who's going to judge all of humanity at the end of time. It reads, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. You guys right now are getting so much joy judging me but what you don't realize is that at the end of, hum- of, of time, I will be the one judging you. Jesus' divinity explains why he is so disruptive in the Gospels. Tim Keller likens Jesus to a billiard ball. Wherever he goes, he is changing trajectory of people's lives. He defies traditional categories. He challenges the status quo. He turns the world upside down. He evokes extreme reactions. In his first sermon in Luke chapter 4, the whole town is so angry with Jesus that they try to throw him off a cliff. When Jesus encounters a a demoniac, the demoniac shrieks in terror, says, depart from me. When Jesus encounters the religious establishment, they begin to plot his death. You've got these extreme responses to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is an extreme person. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Today, when we run into a celebrity, we tend to get all starry-eyed, don't we? We start texting everyone. We might want to ask for a selfie. Uh, 
Many years ago, while I was watching my daughter perform in the Nutcracker, I turned and looked and saw Kobe Bryant sitting seven feet away from me. I was like, OMG, it's Kobe. I was super excited and stoked. People get crazy when they see Taylor Swift or run into Tom Hanks. But consider this. God himself came into this world and walked among us. The creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, came here and joined us in this world. That is staggering news. So who is Jesus to you, dear friends? We've seen how people respond in the Bible to Jesus, but how about you? Do you believe he is God? For those of you who don't, if he's not God, then who was he? One thing you can't deny is that he ever existed. Christian and non-Christian scholars virtually universally agree that a man named Jesus really lived and died 2,000 years ago. And so if Jesus is not God, then was he just another human? And you might say, well, Jeff, not just another human, one of the greatest humans ever to walk this earth. I mean, the, the things that he said are absolutely mind-boggling. Love your neighbor as yourself? Turn the other cheek? That's amazing. I mean, no one has ever brought more dignity and value to all human beings more than Jesus. I may not worship Jesus like you Christians, but don't get me wrong, I respect him. Top five humans in history in my book. Now, if that's you, let me share an argument that C.S. Lewis makes. C.S. Lewis argued that if you don't worship Jesus, then you can't respect him. If you don't believe Jesus is God, then you can't believe Jesus was merely a good man. Here's the reason why. His statements are so outrageous, you have to deal with them. You can't ignore them. Like I said earlier, what if every Sunday in one of my sermons, I started dropping outrageous statements? I started telling you, if you want to know God, you first need to know me. No one can know God without knowing me. What if I told you that before Abraham was, I actually lived, or that at the end of time, I will be the one adjudicating your eternal destiny? You'd think I'm crazy. What if I told you that you need to put me first in your life, that I must be number one, so much so that even if your father dies and you need to go bury him, if I told you, no, 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 don't go to your father's funeral, you need to follow me, you need to put me first. I'll tell you what happens if I start saying things like that week in and week out. This church is going to fall apart. You guys won't return. Even my family will begin to distance themselves from me. 
Why? Because these statements are outrageous. And so, because his statements are so outrageous, you have one of three choices, C.S. Lewis says. Either Jesus was a lunatic and out of his mind, or he was a pathological liar, or he is who he says he is. He is God. But don't say, I don't think he's God, but I still think he's a good person. His statements are too extreme. Either you must believe him or you must cancel him. But there's no such thing as he was simply a good man. So who is Jesus to you? Let's peel back the second layer to Emmanuel. You see, the name Emmanuel not only reveals who Jesus is, it also reveals why Jesus came. Jesus came into this world not to simply show us, hey, God is real, not to simply show us that there is a God. He came into this world to do much more than that. He came into this world to be with us, to be with us. As wondrous as it is to know that Jesus is God, what's even more wonderful is that our God desires relationship with us, with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to be present and active in your life. Imagine if the day I ran into Kobe, Kobe came up to me and said, Jeff, can I sit next to you? I'd be like, of course. And I'm like trying to start small talk. I'm like, Kobe, I didn't know you liked the Nutcracker. And he's like, actually, I don't really care much for it. The reason why I'm here is I actually want a relationship with you, Jeff. I'd be like, whoa, I didn't even know you knew I existed. What honor, what, this is amazing. And yet that's the staggering reality of Emmanuel. God not only comes into this world, but God approaches us and says, I want a relationship with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to hear about your hopes and your dreams. I want to hear about your fears and your heartache. I want to know what makes you happy, what makes you laugh, what makes you angry, what makes you sad. I want to know everything about you, and I want you to know me. That was God's design for humanity to be with us. We see this in the garden after God creates Adam and Eve. He walks with them. He dwells with them. He communes with them. Adam and Eve felt secure, known, and loved by God. And that's how God wants to live with us. He wants us to know him and be known, to love him and be loved. That's what Emmanuel reminds us. It reminds us of the original design of mankind. God wants a living, personal relationship with you. 
Now, this relationship he pursues with us, as intimate as it is, as filled with affection and security as it is, this is not a relationship, however, between peers, between equals. God is with us, a superior being and an inferior being. This is a a relationship where it will completely change your life. The moment you recognize that Jesus is God is the moment your life changes forever. Because he is God, it changes everything. By definition, the moment you acknowledge Jesus is God, that means that you are no longer God. It means that Jesus must become the operating center of your life. Before Jesus, your wants, your wishes, your desires was the controlling center of your life. You lived for yourself. You did what you thought was right, what you thought felt good. But not anymore. The moment you bowed your knee and said, Jesus, my God, my Lord, is the moment you gave up your sovereignty. It's the moment you relinquished your right to rule yourself. No longer now are you thinking and approaching God this way. God, what can you do for me? This Christianity thing is interesting. But before I believe, what will you do for me? Now that you see that Jesus is God, the more important question becomes, God, what do you want me to do for you? Before you approached Jesus and said, I don't know what to think of you. I'm not sure if I like you or not. I'm still forming my opinion. But now that you recognize that Jesus is God, the more important question becomes, Jesus, what do you think of me? Do you like how I'm living? Because he is God, his opinion becomes that much more important than our opinion of him. And this idea, this principle of of Jesus becoming our Lord is communicated in our passage. What is the first thing the angel says to Joseph? The angel says in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, why would Joseph be afraid to take Mary as his wife? It's because Mary is pregnant and Joseph knows that he's not the father. And since he's not the father, someone else must be the father, right? And so instead of bringing shame and dishonor to to Mary's family, he's going to divorce her or break off the engagement secretly, quietly. But the angel says, no, I want you to still marry her. And consider the scandal that would have broken out at the wedding. A wedding where you invite the whole town, everyone to. 
They're going to see Mary with the baby bump walking down the aisle, and you're going to hear a gasp. I thought Joseph and Mary were godly people. Clearly, they did not honor God with their bodies. And I can imagine Joseph saying, guys, you got it all wrong. It's a big misunderstanding. Actually, Mary is a virgin. Yeah, and, and the Holy Spirit did this. They're going to laugh at him. Yeah, right. And yet for Joseph to trust and believe the angel, to trust and believe this is from God, required him then to risk his reputation. It required him to experience the snickering and the ridicule of everyone uh, he knew. Furthermore, Tim Keller points out the fact that Joseph sacrificed more than just his reputation, but in our passage, he also relinquished his privilege as a father to name his son. When you read the Old Testament, you realize that names back then were far more significant than names are for us today. Naming someone was a sign of authority, and it was one of the great privileges for every father in Jewish culture. And yet God takes this privilege away from Joseph. He tells Joseph through the angel, you are to name him Jesus. And that's what happens when we come to saving faith in Jesus. The moment we recognize that he is God is the moment we relinquish our right to even name our own child. He's the boss. He is the authority. I know this might sound obvious to us, especially for those of us who grew up in the church. But sometimes we can get so comfortable with Jesus that we forget he is God. We can get so familiar with Jesus that we begin to treat him like a peer. We begin to selectively pick and choose those things we want to obey and those things we're going to ignore for the time being. We treat him as a counselor or an advisor. Jesus, tell me what you think I should do. And if I like it, I will do it. But we fail to see that he is king. He is Lord. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Unfortunately, complete and Total obedience does not come naturally for us. Even though we know that he is God, how often do we slip into believing that we are God, that our wants and desires ought to control our lives. And so we continue to ignore him. We continue to sidestep him. We continue to give our hearts to the things of this world. We continue to spend our time on the meaningless idols of this world. Even though we know that God desires to be with us, even though we know that God desires to commune with us personally, we'd rather stare at our phones, we'd rather watch TV, we'd rather play video games. 
This is what we call sin. Putting things ahead of God. And it breaks that relationship that, we des- that God desires to have with us. But this is why our, I love our passage. As much as our passage declares that Jesus is God and that this God wants to be with us, it goes even further. As wondrous as it is to know and believe that the God and creator of this universe desires a personal relationship with you, it also tells us that he will stop at nothing to have that relationship with you. All of us here know what it's like to have a healthy relationship and what it's like to have an unhealthy one. All of us, over the course of our lives, may have encountered people who we might call toxic. People who clearly use us, who don't reciprocate the same effort and time and sacrifice we are willing to do for them. And so what happens over the years when you experience someone unhealthy, if not toxic? You distance yourself. You cut off that relationship, perhaps. Now, the reality is all of us are toxic when it comes to God. We don't, excuse me, we don't, ex, we don't reciprocate the effort and energy he puts into our relationship, do we? We ignore him, we bypass him, we pretend he's not there. And naturally, over time, what would you expect God to do? Any healthy individual would say, sorry. I'm going to cut this relationship off. But not our God. The angel tells us, Joseph, name this child Jesus. Why? Because he will save us from our sins. Jesus is the Greek uh, uh, name, transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God saves. And so Jesus will save his people from their sins. How? By dying on the cross. And so the ultimate wonder of Emmanuel is not simply the fact that Jesus is God. It's not simply the fact that God wants to be with us. But the ultimate wonder of Emmanuel is that this God wants relationship with us so badly that he's willing to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. To bridge the divide that our sins created so that we our relationship with God can be restored. In other words, Emmanuel means that Jesus is love. Dear friends, may the Spirit of God help us grasp the wonder of Emmanuel this morning. May it cause you to wonder how God came into this world and wonder even more how God would desire relationship with you and wonder even more how God would choose not to reject you 
but to actually die for you. That's how much he wants to be with you. And may these three layers to the name Emmanuel lead us to complete surrender, lead us to joyful obedience, lead us to confess him like Thomas, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for sending your Son into this world. And that through your Son, we are able to see the depth of your glory and the depth of your love. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to see and, and, and really soak in the profound implications of Christmas. O oh Lord, may we surrender more and more of who we are to you. May we recognize that you are God and we are not. And may we experience the joy and the security of knowing that you are a loving gracious and merciful God who even uh, died for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.